Our scripture reading for today is out of Psalm 46. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in, in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you for a warm welcome to Collins. I feel like I'm at the epicenter of the world. I mean, we got Togo and Chicago and Oklahoma City and New Hampshire, and so it's really good to be here. It feels like I'm part of something. So, yeah, Tim and I met, I think, back in 2018, and I just appreciate uh, he and Patty and um, how God has called them back home. That's part of, actually, part of my job is to encourage people to consider moving back home to help plant churches, because there's a lot of people who have flooded to cities and suburbs and uh, have left their small towns and villages, and those places need the gospel too. But I'm not going to talk about that too much. We want to talk about uh, the Word of God. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to see if we can hear from Jesus. Lord, thank you for sisters and brothers and for those here who are, are seeking for truth. And Lord, I, I just ask that you would be in the room, Lord, that Jesus, you'd be made much of, that the Word of God would not just make sense, but motivate us to, to trust you and, and move in ways you'd want us to move. And Lord, as we, we talk about this text, I pray that it would inspire and strengthen your people to rest in you, even in the midst of difficulty, that, uh, Lord, we would find our, our confidence and our peace and, and, and just strength in resting in your work. So bless us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. My dad was a rural pastor in New Hampshire, and so I kind of grew up in that context. And by the way, shout out to pastor's kids. I know we've got some here, and, you know, it's an honor to be a pastor's kid, but it, uh, it's really good to have just a dad too. So uh, my dad was, was all that to me. He, he actually left the business world at 40 to go to college and then moved to New Hampshire at the age of 44 to, to uh, pastor a rural church. I was two years old at that time, 1965. Um, but Dad loved to quote Scripture. He came to Christ right after World War II, and uh, the Word of God just meant so much to him. And one of the verses that I remember him speaking about often is Job 5-7. We might even have it up on the screen. I'm not sure. It says, man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. And uh, that verse has always been a strong visual, especially sitting around campfires, uh, in the summer, even the winter, but this idea that every spark is a reminder, it's a message. Yeah, our lives were born to trouble. And we, regardless of whether you are in a trouble, you're trying to avoid trouble, or uh, things are going really right, uh, well right now and trouble is coming, you might not know about it. The fact of the matter is God is calling us to find rest in the midst of trouble. 
And that's a hard concept to actually wrap our mind around. We've just come through a very troubling year, right? Like some of us are just seeing family members for, uh, because of travel restrictions for a long time. By the way, New Hampshire, we're, we're part of a, what you might call a bluer state. And so we just got the, the opportunity two weeks ago, I guess three weeks ago today, to actually worship without masks. And we meet in a school as well. Uh, so that was just a real big deal for us. But we've lost progress in education uh, due to remote learning. We've lost friends uh, who've left over arguments about politics or race-related issues or views on COVID or death, all sorts of reasons we've lost this year. But even whether it be COVID or just life, we face this tension of living in a life where we're trying to dodge trouble, but it seems to be really good at tracking us down. If you're considering Christianity, so let me just speak to those of you who are, you know, you're here, you're here to just because someone invited you or whatever, let me just urge you to consider this. And I think it's fair to ask, um, how does faith in Jesus and following Him, how does it help you with your troubles? And I'm going to be right up front and say following Jesus doesn't guarantee deliverance from troubles immediately. And in fact, because if you follow Jesus, there's, it can actually create family tension and, and troubles. Um, I've watched on several occasions where people come to Christ and their family members to test their loyalty will plan family reunions at 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning just to see where their loyalty lies. And so let me just say, if you're considering Christianity, I'm not going to make a grand promise to you that your life will be troubleless. But, and here's the big thought, following Christ is the best way to find rest in your soul, even in the midst of trouble. Following Christ is the best way to experience rest deep in your soul. I could stop right there, but this text we're looking at this morning is even in the midst of trouble. So we're in Psalm 46, and what we're going to look at this morning are basically two truths and one invitation, okay? Two truths and one invitation. And we're in a psalm, so if you're not familiar with the Bible, um, Psalms is the biggest book of the Bible. It's smack dab in the middle of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, I'm sure uh, Sacred Mission Church would love to get you a Bible. There's, oh, there's some right over on that table. Urge you to pick one up. Uh, I find personally that uh, it's better than a, a, a Bible on my phone because then I don't get incoming texts and messages interrupting God. Anyway, so just a, that's a little, that's a freebie. In Psalms, Psalms are um, really songs. They're the top five, one, 150 songs of, the, of, of God, right? They are, they are really ri- written to be sung. And there's something about music, and God has given us this collection of songs that are a confluence or a juncture of emotion and theology and worship. And, and they're meant to honor the fact that we are emotional people. And so at the heart of the Bible is this book that God knows that we need an emotional outlet to express our, our, our struggles, like here, trouble, and truth, theology, who God is in worship. And since, Christy, you're getting a lot of shout-outs, I was just bawling over there. Um, th- thank you for leading us in those songs and the rest of the worship team. I know that, you know, it, it's... It's just amazing how God will take songs and speak deeply to us. So as we look at this psalm, we are looking at 
a message from God, and I'm convinced whether you've been following Jesus like me for, golly, 50 years, or you're just contemplating Christ, that at the depths of who we are and as emotional creatures, God wants to speak to you about finding rest in the midst of your troubles. So let's talk about the first, the first truth. In verses 1 through 3, God is our refuge and strength. We just heard this read, a very present help in trouble. As you think about that, where, where, where does that maybe speak to you? And maybe you, things are going really well for you right now, and you're, like you've, you're, uh, you're, you're, you're coasting, and, and crops are good, or grades are good, or relationships are good, or, or you know, you, you've dodged a tax man, or you've got, you've got incredible vacation plan, and right now things are chill. You're just like happy, great. It won't last. Sorry. But as you think about this, and as you think about what this says, this is a unique psalm that the first word out of the gate is God. The first three verses we look at is God and trouble. And it says here, God is, which is our refuge and strength. It's both a defense and an offense. See, when I'm in trouble, I want someone reliable to help me. Like, there's a guy, his name is Bob. He's my brake man. He does our car inspections. He uh, has a garage right across from the elementary school we meet in, and uh, he offered us parking space because the elementary school we meet in is right in the middle of our little capital city, if it's quite a city, but uh, Concord. And uh, so we, I went across and asked him, hey, on Sunday, could we park cars here? And he said, absolutely. So I took our, my car there. This would have been about four years ago just to honor him. And man, he's so reputable and so honest and, and so upfront. And I, I just talk about Bob a lot. And I know if I, within his spectrum of what he does on cars, if I have trouble, I want Bob. My uh, primary care physician, and I know some of you young people don't care about that, but when you get older, you really care about your primary care physician. Uh, his name is John Clark. He's retiring in December, I'm gonna, he, he's, and I'm going to miss him, but he's helped navigate me through some incredible physical challenges, especially with asthma. been a chronic asthma guy, and uh, he's just been great. And so when I am not feeling well, uh, he's, I, I just feel, when, I'm, when he walks in the office, it's just kind of like I, I relax. Last September, um, I had a tear in my retina in my right eye, and I met doc, Dr. D. He's a guy who does surgery on eyes, and uh, he'd, he'd helped my mom who lost one of her eyes and her other eye was bad, and, and uh, man, Dr. D has a reputation, and when I finally got to make an appointment with him, and he wasn't taking new patients, but I got to drop my mom's name, helps, you know, who you know, got in to see him, and man, he, I didn't like the, what he did to my eye and shooting lasers in there and, and, and healing up the, or, or uh, tagging up the edge of the tear, but man, he is just like, he's confident, he's funny, he's good to be around. When you're in trouble, you want to be around someone you can trust with that trouble. And more important than breaks or your body or blindness is this more engulfing reality that my soul is troubled by things that no doctor, no mechanic, and no medicine can fix. There's trouble that percolates deep within us, guilt and shame and anger and resentment and vengeance, and fear. But God, this verse, this verse is a song that says, God is a very present help in trouble. And this theme gets repeated in these four uh, short 11 verses. This idea that God is near. Verses 7, 
It says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Verse 11 says that very same thing. Well, here in Iowa, if I had a brake problem, a body problem, or an eye problem, Bob and Dr. Clark and Dr. D aren't anywhere nearby. And I'm sure you could recommend somebody, but I don't have their comfort. However, in the reality of life with the big troubles, God is always present. Where can I go from Him? The Scripture says. One thing we believe about how God has told us about Himself is there's no place that you can escape His presence. You may run from everyone, but God will be there. This verse goes on to say that the earth gives way, the mountains, though the earth gives way, the mountains be moved. And what this is, a, this is a verbal picture in a psalm about if you can imagine the worst case scenario, okay? New Hampshire, we have 48 mountains that are over 4,000 feet. The reason I know that is because every, there's this ton of people want to climb all 48. And yet, New Hampshire has 15 miles of ocean coast squeezed between Massachusetts and Maine. And sometimes fierce storms blow in there and wash out the road that's by the, by the ocean. Well, this psalm is a picture of those 48 4,000-footers as if that were like what we could depend on always being there, being cast into the most ferocious and, 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 and terrible sea. And, and this is a picture of you and me imagining the worst-case scenario, everything we counted on as being reliable, being tossed into the worst possible scenario. And the psalmist, who believed in God's presence in the midst of trouble, he said, I will not fear. That though calamity and danger come, these three verses are the psalmist saying, I'm going to start with God even though I'm facing these troubles. And that's what faith does. Considering Christ, that's what faith does. It's, it's preemptive. It's not reactionary. We don't run to Jesus because we're in trouble, even though we are. We run to Jesus in a preemptive move that says, I know trouble's coming. And the worst one is death. Regardless of how we want to paint it up and, you know, God bless hospice. My, both my parents went through hospice. God bless all that stuff. Death still stings. So, Jesus is this preemptive promise that God is our, very, is our very present help in times of trouble. And though the mountains, the things that I consider to be unmovable, are, sh- are shaken and thrown into the most terrible circumstances, this tumultuous storm-tossed sea, I don't need to fear. That's the first truth. Oh, by the way, um, when the text was read, and, and this often gets done and that's fine, uh, a word was dropped out. It's, it's a word that's um, really not quite sure how it's translated, uh, the word sila, which means, we think means pause, but it appears between the three segments of this psalm. And I just want to take the opportunity to encourage you to think about this. As we think about this truth that God is present in our trouble, Stop and think about how that would bring you rest. Let that sink in for a moment. If the brakes of your life left failed you and your body's failing you and your eyesight's going, better than Bob or John or Dr. D, God is always there. What would that mean to you? Think about that. 
stop and rest in that thought. A second truth, not only is God present in our trouble, but God rules over all trouble. Uh, verses 4 through 11, uh, 7, I'm sorry, it says, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters His voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Think about that. The songwriter here is moving from thinking about the worst possible scenario to the king who rules over the worst possible scenario. We understand now David wouldn't have known his name, but we understand King Jesus rules over all things. He is a sovereign over all things. But as most artists do, he, the psalmist introduces this beautiful imagery of a river. This, this idea that a river brings to a city life-giving uh, strength and nourishment. And uh, as you know here in agricultural Iowa, how important water is. And I know your cities, I mean your city, your, uh, your state is sort of boundary by the Mississippi on one side and the Missouri on the other. But, but here you have this picture of a river coming to or, or being the source of life. Our, our church's name actually ha- is, uh, we started out calling it the River Church and then long story, ends up with River of Grace, but it's because the Merrimack River in the center of New Hampshire, uh, this city that we're in, was started as a village, Penacook, in 1734 uh, on the river because there was fish and there was commerce and there was life. Now, there's a theme in the Bible about rivers. You know, if you read the opening chapters of the Bible, that's Genesis, again, if you're new to, new to uh, Christianity, considering it, I urge you to read Genesis 1 through 3. It sort of sets the framework for the whole story of, of the Bible. But God creates this beautiful world and puts Adam and Eve in a garden. And, and there's a tree there called the tree of life. And there's a, another tree there, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God says, eat of all the trees, including the tree of life. Just don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because you can't handle no, uh, evil like I can because I'm God. I can handle the knowledge of it. It doesn't affect me. You don't want to go there. We're not good at listening to God. That's the story. But it, there's, a, there's a theme there that talks about this river that flows from Eden. And it says in uh, Genesis that a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. If you think about a river, it is really, uh, it's power controlled by the banks. Like we stayed uh, two nights ago, Thursday night, in uh, Louisiana, Missouri, little town on the banks of... Uh, of Mississippi. We had, a, we had an Airbnb 80 feet up on a banking overlooking the river. Mississippi is, a, is, is power controlled by its banks. This theme of the river actually ends up at the end of the story of God in, in Revelation. Revelation, the very, I think it's the last chapter, chapter 22, it says, uh, then the angel showed me a river of water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the midst of the street of the city and also on either side of the river, the tree of life. Why is this important? Well, verses 1 to 3 remind us, okay, God is an ever-present present fortress and strength in our lives. 
And even though the mountains are the most secure things we can think about in life, get taken away and thrown into the most uncontrolled storms of the sea, that God has promised to be there. But here we're now given a picture of not of a, the uncontrolled waves and storms of the sea, but we're given a picture of controlled power of a river. And this idea that God has this intention of ruling over all things that we could be afraid of, and it makes us glad. The, the, the theme of a city of God gets brought up here. And in the Old Testament, that was Jerusalem, which was a nondescript hilltop place. When I say nondescript, like it's, it wasn't the most strategic place for a city, which is a reminder that God doesn't need like significant places for him to work. He works in Collins, Iowa, or Concord, New Hampshire. You know, it's, it's uh, this, this idea of the city of God. Um, and if you, I, I'm, I'm going to assume Tim has probably mentioned St. Augustine and he, he wrote a book in the, around 410 A.D. called The City of God because the city of man, the ultimate city of man at that time, the city of Rome, had been sacked. Um, and there was, this, there was an uprising because some were saying it's because you've left all your pagan gods that you were sacked. And St. Augustine writes this book, The City of God, and he's arguing, no, no, no. You've actually been sal- salvaged and saved because... Uh, the ransackers left after a short time, three months, I think, and um, you've been saved because there's a city where God rules over. The city of man needs the city of God. Okay, there's a little, little history for you, history buffs, but what is it saying here to us? That God is in control of all the forces that we could be afraid of, and it brings us gladness to dwell on that, and that there's this there's this promise of a dwelling with God in this city, which, ironically, the story of God begins in a garden and ends with this beautiful picture of a, a God-centered city, civilization. And I, I get it, half of you probably don't like to go to the city, but like a well-run city is, is actually a, a, a cool place. And think of it run by God. God is making us this promise that though troubles come, though there are difficulties that there is this, this river that brings gladness to the city of God. And God is in the midst of her. There's actually a comparison here between the power of God's rule in our lives and the power of man's rule. He actually says the nations rage and the kingdoms totter. Uh, that, that kind of describes a man-centered world that relies on man without God. And, and you, get this, you get this contrast between these nations that rage and the kingdoms that, that totter as compared to the city of God. And God is in the midst of her. The Lord of hosts is with her. God is ruling over all of this. By the way, when Jesus was born, and again, to bring this back to Jesus, one of the names he was given was Emmanuel, God with us. This whole idea that God is with us and brings us gladness is actually a major theme of the gospel, the story of God's salvation. If you've thought that Christianity is about um, sort of moral control, you know, it, or, or uh, some sort of like I've got to be good enough for God. You've got the wrong message. 
God only comes to broken, weak, and needy people. And in fact, in this, well, we'll, we'll see this in a moment, but uh, keep, keep an eye when it says the God of Jacob is our fortress. God drops that name Jacob for a purpose. But let me just, before we move to the invitation, because we've looked at these two truths, that God is present in our troubles and God rules over our troubles. Let me just say that if you're looking for the meaning and most satisfying place of joy in your life, the best argument I can give you for considering Jesus is gladness, joy. We've been hanging around some of the, we went to a softball game on uh, Friday night and um, meeting some of the kids around here and talking to some of them. Uh, I was greeted by a little, little girl. She was about 10 years old. This is only her second week here. She was welcoming me. I'm going, Man, these are like nice people, 10-year-olds welcoming a complete stranger. But I, I've been tracking with Jesus seriously since about 14. I came to him as a young boy, knew that lifting of the weight of sin as a child. I'm so grateful. I can't believe that Jesus came to me so young. I can't believe it. And he continually delivers me from the sin of, uh, of the struggle. And by the way, if you're going to consider Christianity, let me put this in proper English. We ain't perfect. We're far from it. The reason we need Christ as Christians is because we, we we're, we're not good enough. We're, we're as, I, as my kids would say, we're a hot mess. Christ removes our sin and the guilt that we deserve and replaces it with his presence in our lives with the promise that now we are adopted into the Father's family. And one of the promises of his presence in our lives is joy. And as you think about the claims of Christ, or even if you've been tracking with Jesus for a while, he wants you to rest in this thought. He rules over any trouble in your life, and in the midst of that, he wants to bring joy. There's a river that flows, and it, it brings gladness. So this ends with Selah. Think about that. Rest in that. Rest, rest on these two truths. God is present with us in our troubles, and God rules over our troubles. But now there's this invitation in the last uh, four verses. Come, behold the work of the Lord. And so God is inviting you to rest in His work how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah, rest in that. And this whole idea of rest begins with when God made this world, and I don't know if seven literal days or if those are, I, I just know he made it. Hebrews says, by faith we believe the heavens were made. But I do know this, there's a rhythm that God has established that works. You put out, you serve, you, you are productive, you contribute to, uh, to, to your society and your community, but there's a day to sit back and rest in the work of God. That, that what God has done, not just in what he has made, but how he's redeeming broken humanity through Christ and how he's building for himself a people he calls uh, a temple to dwell in, 
Uh, he calls it his body to work through, but the most enduring picture is he calls it his bride to love. That the work of God that he is doing without anything we need to contribute to it, the work of God is worth us setting back and, and, and being refreshed in. On the seventh day, God had finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he has done in creation. That's what God does. Out of the sheer work of what he does, he brings a measure of joy. God didn't need to rest because he was tired. He just liked to sit back and go, that was good. And that's what we're called to do. The rhythm of productivity and contributing with rest as a, as a part of that is a work of God that he wants us to rest in. Tim mentioned, I, I uh, maybe mentioned earlier, but I find, so I've been pastoring 34 years. I'm a son of a pastor. I am more excited, more joyful, more optimistic about the church, even in dark New England than I've ever been. I'm not quite as energetic because I'm getting older. Not as old as Tom, but I'm almost there. Um, I stayed at, we stayed with Tom and Donna. I mean, it's worth coming back just for that. He cooked some Spanish dish. I have to come to the middle of Iowa to have an amazing Spanish dish. That's amazing. Never mind. I digress. Um, but this whole idea of finding rest in God, I find both with pastors but with Christians that we have forgotten how good it is to just chill for a day in the goodness of God and rest. I mean, that's what gathering here is being reminded about the good works of God. I know it's challenging in these days. I know, and I, I'm glad my kids are older. We have five children. They're, I, 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 I yeah. We have four sons and a daughter, and uh, they're all tracking with Jesus. And I think one of the reasons was is we are, we're by far, we're not legalists, which means we're like, we're not like really strict, but like whenever we got in the camper and went on our three-week vacation every summer, we would, I would make sure that on Sundays we found a church to rest, rest in and be refreshed in. And we also made sure that Sunday was sacred in our home. That our, the being with God's family, which is an amazing work of His, that He saves PhDs and drug addicts and everything in between. He saves the people from, from the high and lofty and, and the low and struggling. He saves people and makes them a lasting family. To be in that work every Sunday, I think, has, has done tremendous things in my children's lives because raising kids in dark, secular New England going to public school where it's crazy and, and finding that their faith has remained. I think part of it is, has been this practice of rest, this invitation. God says, come rest in my work. Come rest in seeing what I have done and what I am doing. Our culture opposes resting in the work of God. I'm glad I don't have children these days because like the whole sports culture I know it's true. I know it's true in New Hampshire. I suspect it's here. But you're wrestling with like, how do you bring up kids in a culture where the idol of the day is sports is everything if you're in that world. 
including Sunday mornings. It's just like, how do you bring up kids in that, that day? I do know this, folks. You want your kids to rest in the work of God more than you want them to star on the high school sports team. All right, I can say that because I'm leaving town. <laughs> and I know how important sports are because I just went to the girls' softball game. Go, is it Warriors? No, Spartans. Okay, go Spartans. I forgot, forgot what team I was rooting for. Uh, yeah, it's on the wall. This, this concluding invitation is an invitation for you to dwell in what God has done and is doing. You see, Christianity is not about what I can do for God. Can I work my place into his favor? Can I give enough? Can I serve enough? Can I be good enough? Can I, like, constrain my desires on my own so somehow God might say, Dave Pinkney, you're okay. Come on in here. You're better than Tim. Come on in. Not really. No. I need God's work of Christ who forgives my hundreds of millions of sins. I don't know. It's, I haven't kept track. I can't. He's forgiven those in Christ, and so part of the, the, the wonder of God is that he saves sinners. He makes wars to cease. It's, it, this is interesting statement here. It says, be still and know that I am God. Now, it's good to take that and say, okay, come and see the work of God, verse 8. And then it says, be still and know that I am God. But do you know that this is probably not an a, uh, invitation to you who are, are Christians. It's probably God saying to the world, shut up, I'm in charge. Be still, you foolish nations, I rule. I think that's the better translation, actually. Because what it does for us is going, oh, you mean like God is in charge and regardless of what they do, he's ruling over and he's telling the world, be still, I'm in charge. I think that's a better translation. Either way, it's a reminder that God is at work and he is sovereign. And I think it's a rebuke to all the trouble that world, the world creates. And at the end it says, it repeats the, the line, the God of Jacob is our fortress, a place to run. I, I told you earlier to remember that word Jacob. It could have said the God of Israel. See, Jacob... Uh, wasn't a nice guy. He cheated his brother out on, on his inheritance. He was a liar, and God called him. That's the only people God calls are liars and cheaters and broken people, all right? And then God transformed him and gave him a new name, Israel. But here in the psalm, we're reminded that God is a fortress to those who wrestle in their weakness, and this is the work of God. And so this morning, my goal for you is to walk away with here clinging to considering these two truths, that God is with you in your trouble, always, it's been repeated three times here, God of Jacob is our fortress, God is with us, he's with the imperfect ones, he invites in. So God is with us, this is Jesus, Emmanuel that God rules over us. King Jesus, we worship his rule. That, that, that is the message of the gospel. It's his kingdom, that he rules over my life. I'm for, forever secure because he says my life is his. I'm one of his children. I belong to him. He rules. And then we're invited to, 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 to behold his work, to watch what he's doing. I, I am 
so honored to have a front row seat of seeing what God is doing in small places throughout the world, and particularly in the United States, as he plants churches like Sacred Mission in obscure and forgotten and unknown places. Because where there are people, God is at work calling men and women, boys and girls, to life in Christ, which is eternal. It's not just an eternal escape, but it's eternal gladness now. There's no end to the depth of joy you experience as you continually lean into and ponder the works of God. I want to close with this word picture that is throughout the Bible. You know, the Bible has some different word pictures or, or stories that kind of tell us things. And, you know, um, there are a number of boat stories in the Bible. The famous one, Noah's Ark, right? Like, read that one in Genesis, what is that, 6, 7, and 8. And God, God is destroying a world by, by keeping his people out of trouble. That picture of the ark is a picture of salvation. Then there's a really sad boat story. It's Jonah. Jonah was turning his back on God, trying to run his own life, saying, I'm not going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to go my way. He's actually sleeping in, the, in a boat in a storm. I, I don't know if he was like drinking some hard alcohol or just like, I'm running from God. But it ended up with him being... Um, You've heard of suicide by cop. Well, this was suicide by sailor. He said, the only way this, is going to be, this storm is going to stop, if you read about it, it's in the book of Jonah, uh, is throw me overboard. And he was just hoping to die. God wouldn't let him get away with that either. So that's not a really great illustration. But the two in the New Testament that are pretty well known, the, the, the disciples were in the midst of a storm trying to row them away across the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus wasn't with them. And they're scared. But then Jesus comes walking by. And Jesus calms the storm. Another one is, they're in a similar scenario, but Jesus is in the boat, but Jesus is napping because he's king of the universe. Like, and they wake him up and say, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to die? And he says, fear not. And then he says these words to the, to the oceans, the trouble, be still. I want to conclude with the, this verse up there um, from Matthew 8. What sort of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him? For those of you uh, considering following Christ, let me urge you to consider one of the best reasons to investigate who Christ is and his claims and, and, and what he claims to do with your soul and your sin and how he wants to adopt you into his father's family is this, this idea that he wants to give you rest in the midst of a troubling world and he wants you to know his presence and his power over the trouble that is in your life. He wants you to be overwhelmed and in awe of the work of God. He wants you to rest on a regular rhythm in what he is doing. And so I just urge you to consider that. I urge you to consider, as it says there at the end, behold the work of God. I urge you to consider the work of the cross, that rather than God pouring out his just wrath on you and me, Christ, the Son of God, would take our place. I would urge you who are in Christ in the midst of your troubles, and you will have them. Just like it says in Job, as sparks fly upward, so man is born to trouble. God is near. He has not left you alone in your trouble. And he's not just near. He is king, and he rules over them.
There's an ultimate rest for the people of God. This, this says in Hebrews, this promise that someday all tears, all pain, all trouble will be gone. But right now, we urge you to drink deeply of this river that flows to God's people as we dwell in His presence, this, this river of gladness, and, and, and behold His work, because He is at work. Let me pray over you. Lord, I am uh, so grateful to, to all these years to watch you at work, to see you saving people, white-collar people and struggling addicts and everything in between, housewives and single parents and teenagers and senior citizens. Lord, you, you are at work rescuing people from the trouble that is coming. Thank you, Lord, that you are God who's in this room, you're present. And Jesus, thank you that you rule over the storm. Who are you that you can even command the storms to be still? Thank you that you invite us to look at this. Lord, for my sisters and brothers, may they be refreshed in the work that you're doing, you have done, and you will do. May they make it a rhythm in their lives to just take a day aside and reflect and be refreshed in the work of God. May they make gathering around the work of Jesus a normal rhythm and a high priority. But most of all, Lord, may they experience the gladness that comes from drinking deeply of the river that flows from your throne. I pray your blessing on them. And Father, for my friends who have yet to profess Christ, Lord, save them, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, David. Um, a way that we get to tangibly rest in him is Jesus made communion for us to actually commune with him, to rest in him for joy, leading to joy. Um, so uh, as, as we come to communion, Amos and Tanner will be serving us today. The way that we do this here is they'll have uh, plastic gloves on, uh, then they'll actually tear off some of the bread and come up with your hands like this, and then they'll make eye contact with you. This is to be a sacred moment, and even place the bread in your hand and say, this is the body of Jesus given for you. It's going to be true for every single person. This is given for you. Uh, then we have wine or juice. Obey your conscience there. And the way that we do this is we'll come and take the elements, uh, then we'll go back, and then we'll remain standing and take it together as family. There are warnings in Scripture not to rush to the table without having the Lord search us, reveal things to us, areas that we need to, to, to seek forgiveness, offer forgiveness. If you're just feeling a lot of tension around that, we ask you to, to just abstain today and, and then come, come to the table next week. Uh, if Jesus is not your Savior, instead of coming to the table, what we'd encourage you to do is come to Jesus. Give your life to him. Wrestle with him around that. Talk to him. He's, he's not hiding in the dark. He's actually uh, put a well-lit path in front of us to come to him. And then, and then giving your life to him, come to the table, and, and we will celebrate accordingly. So let's spend some time uh, praying to him, searching him, and then let's come to the table.